Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along to the Crash MotoGP podcast. On the show today, we're looking ahead to MotoGP returning to Australia and Phillip Island playing host for the first time since 2019. Some of your questions answered and we could be crowning our first champion this weekend, courtesy of Moto3. The recording day is Tuesday, the 11th of October. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewin. Uh, but first, we wanted to pay a couple of tributes. Firstly, to Chrissy Rouse. We reported in last week's show, the 26-year-old BSB rider had received serious head injuries in a crash during a race. Uh, and sadly, he succumbed to his injuries and passed away. Uh, a massively young, talented racer, brilliant podcaster to a man who was doing it all, really, taken far too soon. And our entire thoughts are with his friends and family at this extremely sad time. And unfortunately, uh, it's been a sad couple of weeks in the world of motorbike racing as Phil Reed, the first uh, rider to win Grand Prix World Championships in the 125, 250 and 500 CC classes, has also sadly died at the age of 83 peacefully in his sleep last week. And Keith, well, as I say, it's just been a sad couple of weeks, really, in motorbike racing. Yeah, I mean, what to add to that, Harry, to be honest with you. Chrissy Rouse, you know, it's rare that somebody is as universally popular in the paddock as Chrissy Rouse obviously was. Um, very sad situation. I mean, we weren't aware when we came on air last year, last week that um, he wasn't going to make it, although we knew it was serious, obviously. So the loss has come as a shock, even though, you know, some people might have been prepped for it. But a disaster for the family. And it seems like every single person that ever knew him throughout, you know, the very rare people, you know, in motorbike racing, you kind of build up rivalries and you build up that kind of friction with other people. And, and Chrissy seemed to be just universally loved by, by everybody he'd come into contact with. So it was kind of one of, and you mentioned the podcast, which is anybody who's never seen that podcast, it's hilariously funny, like so natural. And he was actually quite a shy boy originally, but he, he came out of his shell. He was obviously a quick runner stop thousand um, champion in 2020 a big loss a big loss you know what else can i add to that phil reed superstar the prince of speed as he was known um i always like him phil reed as a rider to be a bit like jorge lorenzo on track i'm talking about not off it um in that his class on a motorbike he just had something very very special about him on a bike he really was a quality quality world champion and controversially off track cameras and and newspapers used to follow him around everywhere reedy was not shy in um, in pushing the boundaries when it came to what was acceptable 
any particular decade that he was um, performing, shall we say, for want of a better thing. I mean, he, put, he puts a smile on my face. Reedy would turn up at an event that you wouldn't even expect to see him at, and he'd, he'd sidle up alongside you and, and have some scheme, some you know financial thing that you needed to. Or you know, I remember bumping into him awake of, of a very good friend of mine, John Brown who was a motorcycle journalist for some time, and, and Reedy turned up and he was trying to sell sell helicopters or helicopter parts. It was random as hell. But that was Reedy. Um, you know, expect the unexpected from the Prince of Speed, but a big loss. And if you go back through the history, you know, in some cases, I would say Phil Reed was a sad situation. It didn't, you know, he wasn't a wealthy man at the end of the day. He was kind of overlooked from all the accolades that someone of his status should have got. Um, purely and simply because he was so brilliant on a motorcycle. But there you go. Gone but not forgotten, I think, will be the way that we uh, handle that one. Absolutely. Well, uh, all of our thoughts and everybody's at Crash MotoGP's thoughts with uh, the friends and family of Phil Reed and, of course, uh, Chrissy Rouse at this uh, extremely sad time. Um, but we'll uh, we'll carry on with uh, the rest of the show and, and look forward to uh, another weekend of MotoGP racing as we get into uh, the crunch stages of, of this championship. And, uh, well, last time out, Thailand, we've had a little bit of a break now, haven't we, to, to recover from uh, the, the back-to-backs, it seems. Uh, we had so many races in, in a month. Um, and Miguel Oliveira, well, our, our latest uh, winner, Pete, uh, another win for him uh, in the wet as well. Last time out, sensational ride from him. I think it's fair to say hunted down Jack Miller and then managed to, to get through on him and, and take a commanding win in the end. Um, at a time when, well, he was hunting down the man that's replacing him at KTM and has given him a bit of a warning about that KTM team saying he won't find it particularly easy. Do you think KTM and, and Miguel Oliveira, that splits, it... it it seems like neither of them really wanted to part ways entirely because KTM were trying to keep him into the, in that tech threefold. So do you think there might be a bit of regret over that decision with either party there? I mean, certainly any time a factory loses a multiple race winner, I mean, he's won more races for KTM and MotoGP than any other rider. So I'm sure they, they did desperately wanted to keep him. But at the end of the day, as you say, they signed Jack Miller in his place. And that meant that, you know, Oliveira had to leave the factory team. They wanted him to go to Tech Twan, the Gas Gas Project. But he instead has decided to make this new start at RNF and Aprilia. Uh, is, is wet weather wins. I mean, they always they, they show the rider talent, don't they? It's the chance for the rider who maybe isn't comfortable with his bike in the dry to just, it's almost like a reminder. This is the talent I've got. This is what I can do if we can put everything in place. And unfortunately for Oliveira, but also the other KTM riders, they haven't had the package this year, really, have they? Brad Binder's another example, having to fight his way through you know, from from qualifying outside the top ten quite often, he's he's had he's not really been able to show his true talent either. So um, it's a difficult one. I think it's you know I think it's a good time for Oliveira to make a fresh start. I think he's you know he, he can make this new start at Aprilia. It's a it's a bike that's very consistent. I think that's what he's looking for, isn't it? We know on his day when the conditions are working, if it's a wet race, he can be at the front and can win races. But it's that up down that that spiky was the word that he used. Those spiky results. I think he's now going over to an Aprilia that probably has been the most consistent bike on the grid overall. So he'll be hoping he can be, you know, build some momentum and actually challenge for places higher up in the championship standings. If you look at where he's been championship wise, it's nowhere near where he should be given his race results, you know, given that he has won all these races, if you like. And it's because the results have just been up and down for him. But undoubtedly, the talent is there. And it was a reminder of what KTM will be missing comes down to team dynamic at the end of the day. If uh, Miguel Oliveira wasn't getting along with the team or they weren't getting along with him, I think trying to shove him out to Tech 3 wasn't a great... I can see why he wanted to make a move. Aprilia is on the up. 
KTM has stalled a little bit in the middle at the moment. I think Miguel Oliveira and the dynamic between him and the team. I think KTM is quite a harsh team. I think it's a team that second riders, you know, can have quite a little bit of difficulty in. I think that they can find themselves out on a limb a little bit. And I can imagine the language being slightly more harsh than uh, what he would perhaps be used to. So Miguel Oliveira, I think, is a right move for him and for Aprilia. Brilliant for the pair of them. I think we're going to see a lot more action from him next year. Um, Jack Miller, you know, will he find it difficult at KTM? The thing about Jack Miller is, is he's solid. He's a solid character. He's a solid man. I think he will fit in with the, the kind of Austrian way of doing things as well. And Brad Binder's a similar character. I think they're going to spur each other on. So it's probably a good move for all around. I know it sounds like Hugh and sitting on the fence here, which I never normally do. But um, I think it just, I think, you know, managerially, it works well for, for both riders and for both teams. I don't think Oliveira would have been a good fit at, at Guy Coulon, Hervé Poncherel's Tech 3 team. I think he's made the right move. I think his management have, have put him in the right place. And I think we're going to see some sparks next year. That's for sure. From both Jack and from, from Miguel. And, and Jack, of course, is, is the man on the form at the moment, isn't he? And these, these three triple headers, that, if you like, the triple consecutive races we just had, he's outscored everybody, isn't he? By a long way. I mean... Uh, why, why is it whenever someone's leaving Ducati, they start going really, really good? <laughs> <laughs> and still, still technically in, in championship contention. Well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's a really good point, Harry, because, you know, providing we can add up, like not like the Formula One guys at the, the end of the day, <laughs> we can, we're going to get to the end of the year. I mean, he's just got married. He's on, a, on the crest of a wave after, after Bury Ram. He's going to Phillip Island, which is going to be tricky from looking at the weather forecast and the light. I mean, that is a really, really hard, brilliant racetrack, but like nightmare weather. You don't know what it's going to do from one half an hour to the next. It can be blowing in from the from the south and be freezing cold. It can blow in off the land and it could be, you know, 20 degrees warmer within half an hour. So um, that's going to take some management as well. But Jack Miller on this kind of a role, you don't need much of a mistake from the other two from Jack Miller to be in contention, properly in contention. And we talk about um, mistakes, I suppose, Pete, just to, to pick up on that and, and just talk about another good performer. Joanne Zarco had a really good performance as well last time around, but maybe it could have been better. Exactly. I mean, it was a good performance, but he had such a pace advantage at the end of that race. I mean, he set the fastest lap of the race by half a second over anyone else. And you've got to believe, I mean, he's been second, I think, 10 times in MotoGP now, but probably that fourth place was the closest that he's got to a win, really, because... If it wasn't Banyaya there, you can be sure he would have blasted by, you know, the person in third who was Banyaya and taken on Miller and Oliveira. But, he, you know, he obviously knew if I take out Banyaya, that's it. You know, it's it, Banyaya's had, what, five DNFs. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Five DNFs or non-scores. And then he only scored one point in Mandalika. So really, he could have missed a third of the season. <laughs> he could have not turned up to a third of the races. And he's still only two points behind Quattararo. I mean, it's unbelievable that, that, that Banya is still in this position. But coming back to Zarco, yeah, I think that was... You could see it on his face. I mean, I, I, you know, I spoke to him after the race. He was saying the right things about being, well, you know, it's, it's fourth place, I'm happy with it. But you could see, he, as he said, he lost the victory. I want to be critical of um, Joanne Zarco. I really want to be critical of him. I want to, I want to say things like, you know, he had the opportunity there and the speed there, but not the the confidence to make the passes he needed to make. And that worries me about a championship. That worries me about a potential race winner. Having said that, the fact is in MotoGP at the moment, we're not seeing passes when we think we ought to be seeing them. 
there is something going on on those bikes and with those front tires, with that aero, with the with the shapeshifters, with the ride height adjustments and all the rest of it that are causing difficulties for top line riders to make passes. And that's the reason why I'm not as critical as I would want to be with Zarco. I mean, honestly, I was furious at the time. You know, make the bloody pass. What's, you know, get on with it. It just was so annoying to watch, particularly when you were looking at the lap times. I mean, not everybody is a nerd like we are, the three of us all sitting there checking the lap times out and seeing who's doing what in what sector. But if, you know, those of you at home that have a television screen over here and your computer over there with the lap times and the sector times on will have been shouting the same things as we all were, you know, like you've got the pace, get on with it, get by. But front tires just are not working the way that riders want them to work, to make those passes, to give them the confidence to make those passes. Aero is having an effect. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens at this next round in Australia because there are opportunities there to make passes and it's going to be interesting to see whether they are going to be thwarted in that effort. Was it Zarco being too reticent? Or was it the fact that he was as close to the limit as he wanted to be when he was in the proximity of another rider? Add to the fact that it was you know, a man on a Ducati and one that's you know, going for the championship. That would have been in his head. But he's a motorbike racer. Normally, that wouldn't have made any difference at all. You'd have stuck it straight down the inside, took the place. I've got the pace. I'm going to go. If you can follow me, fine. Follow me through. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, the jury's out for me. Zarko will know what it was in his head. Um, I've got to say that Zarko makes a few unforced errors. So maybe he's aware of his unforced error record, if you like. And so therefore, coming across Bagnaya, he just didn't quite have that confidence to make that pass and make it stick. And it, it's great because, it, 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 you know, he can make the excuse, well, I didn't want to pass him because, you know, for the points and the rest of it. Makes it look good within the Ducati camp, if you like. But it might also have been the fact that those motorcycles, when they're in close proximity to each other, are hard to pass. MotoGP is a class that has, has evolved into being hard to make passes. And uh, I think that's something that we're going to have to get over if we're going to go back. I mean, especially when you see things like World Superbikes of the weekend, you know, they're at it. They've got everything except, you know, ball and chain swinging. It, it, it's fantastic <laughs> to watch. that would be something. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it literally, they are just taking chunks out of each other everywhere because the bikes are... You know they're able they for, they give you enough to be able to you know work in that manner and 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 with those kind of liberties that you're taking from each other. Um, whereas a MotoGP bike seems to me to be so incredibly precise now with everything that that makes passing so much harder. Um, dump all that bloody shapeshifter stuff. I mean, if I could see where it was was going to be a a definite bonus for road bikes or developments into the future. But I just can't see where ride height adjusters and all the rest of it are going to make any difference to road bikes or anything in the development developed future. So kind of why are we bothering with them? Even aero. I mean, you know, it, something needs to be sorted regarding that because it is getting hard for the top line riders to make passes. Um, and that's not good. Might we see no use of ride height devices and aero at Phillip Island. You know, it, there's not really hard braking, is there, to, to sort of deactivate the ride height devices. Will they actually use them? It, I'm not sure. And then it's the first place, Pete. Um, it's the first the place, side. Pete, that I... Sorry. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say... It's the first place that I remember people complaining about the, the, the aero. You know, Bradley Smith was quite vocal about, you know, how much it upset you. Go... <laughs> Doohan's corner, the, f the first right-hander, is like one of those ones where you need kahunas the size of footballs. 
it is just the corner of the year for me. You're coming off of, you're coming onto the straight very fast. You've got a fast straight and you've got a really quick right-hander off the straight. Um, and we're talking to Zarko. We've seen Zarko and co get that wrong going in there when they, you know, got tangled into that uh, right-hander with, with Marquez, wasn't it? I think he, he ended up ramming yes. Marquez, I think it was, back in the... Um, horrendous accident. Because, again, the, the, the you never see it when you're sat at home on TV. It all looks dead easy, doesn't it? But the, um, even, in, even in my day, when they had solid tyres and wooden wheels, you know, the fact of the matter was, when you got near to another rider, you, you, you were being pulled around all the time. You, you could tell when you were getting into a slipstream of, of another rider, you'd be 20 yards back, and all of a sudden... You, you couldn't control your hat because it was being pulled around like this. And as you got closer, it settled down. And then there's the big suction because he's cleared all the air in front and you get sucked by. You know, th- those are, you know, they're, they're arts that you learn as a youngster going right the way back to, to the year dot. But now that you've got all this aero, the amount, I'd like to see what it looked like in a wind tunnel, how that's spread out and around and, and the difference that makes to a motorcycle. Now you've got all of that. You can't see it, but those riders are coping at 200 mile an hour with with inaccuracy with the bikes being moved about it's not voluntary movement they're they're on they're on a mission of their own after time when you get into the slipstream or get into someone else's messy air and that's making more and more a difference and we're going to see that at philip island believe me it's going to be an issue i believe and if it's windy as in from the very position of the track you know don't call it siberia for no reason on some of those corners they you know we've, we've had situations you know Difficult weather conditions can throw up some unusual results. Cal Crutchlow won there in difficult conditions. There have been, been wins there before that you weren't really expecting. There have also been crashes there you weren't expecting. You know, down into that, I don't know what they call it now, but it was Honda hairpin back in the day. You know, coming down the hill into the braking point of there, when you're running asymmetric tyres, you know, again, are they running asymmetric tyres this week? I don't know. I haven't looked at the tyre sheets yet. But asymmetric tyres means that part of the tyre has got a different um, strength of compound different compound on one part of the tyre than the other. But the problem you had was that when the weather cooled in the last half hour of one race, the, the, the harder compound was too hard for that temperature at that time. And you've got riders that were losing the front all the time, a bit of a face plant into those little hairpins and stuff like that. So they've got a lot to contend with in Australia. This is not an easy... And then there's the seagulls. Do you want a seagull in the face? You know, let's have a four kilo meatball slung at you in the face at 200 mile an hour. And, and that's assuming it doesn't do any mechanical damage if it gets jammed in the front of the bike, which we've seen before. You know, blood and guts everywhere. It's, it's Philip Island has got a lot of things that are going to be chucked at these guys. Um, and bearing in mind, we've not been there till 2019. So you've got the entire test program that they're going to try to cram into FP1 and 2, as well as qualify for qualifying, of course, which is the argument we always have. Because nowadays... You know, there's no guarantee you're going to get through the qualifying two because everybody's within a second of everyone else. So you might end up being in qualifying one and not being on the front four rows of the grid, which is going to be bad news at Phillip Island as well. So such a lot to go, such a lot going on there. The, the seagull, for anyone yeah, that wants to look at it, just type in Andrea Iannone, is it 2015, I think, Phillip Island? And they'll hear the classic Keith Hewan uh, phrase of, he's nutted it, I think was uh, what you said, Keith. Is. <laughs> Perfectly summed up how Iannone dealt with that seagull. <laughs> um, and then just, just go on, on what you were saying. Unlike some people that would probably put the nut on it, I think he was more likely dodging it than nutting it. But anyway, he got it in the face. (laughs) 
And that was down to that very hairpin that I was talking about, down to the Honda hairpin. <laughs> He's nutted it. He's nutted it. <laughs> so, so last time MotoGP came in 2019, uh, there was all the crosswinds in qualifying. That, well, I think Miguel Oliveira actually got blown off in final practice and uh, broke his hand. So after that, well, qualifying for a start was then moved to Sunday morning. So it was, a, it was an upset schedule just on that alone, qualifying and then the race in one day. But also after that, the technical rules were tweaked a bit and they're actually allowed exemptions, which are to take off the side pods. It's the only race that they're allowed to do this. They can take off those side pods at Phillip Island this weekend if they want to. The teams can. They can't alter anything else on the aero, but they can actually remove the wings. So we might see very little use of ride height devices, if any. Obviously, they'll use them at the start, but, but perhaps not when the actual around the lap, if you like. Um, and potentially they might take some of the side pods off as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a unique event all round, Phillip Island. Yeah, but the problem is, Pete, that um, unfortunately Quattararo had a bit of a go at that earlier on in the year, didn't he? Taking some aero off of it to try and give it some more top end. And we, we ended up with a motorbike that didn't handle at all. I think that when you've done all the development down the road of aero and down the air, down the road of um, shape-shifting, you know, ride height adjustments, you know, that then is a completely different animal, completely different motorbike. And, and suddenly you take all the aero off of it and everything you've done to, to partner that aero suddenly doesn't work on its own unilaterally, if you like. It's, it's kind of, it's a big problem. It's not as simple as just unbolting something and hoping it's going to work. And they don't have the time for testing that. You've got free practice one. You've got to go quick either in the morning or the afternoon, free practice two, which is going to be the quicker of the two. And with weather conditions being a bit changeable there, you don't know which session is going to be the quick one, which, you know, and actually swapping, you know, you can have two motorbikes, of course, that are set up completely differently. So you can try them back to back, but that in itself has its own problems as well. So I don't know. I think Phillip Island is going to be, it's the turning point. This is the point where, you know, there's going to be big points to grab and big mistakes that can be made. I think at Phillip Island, um, this is going to be the one for me that decides it's it's definitive for the world championship this weekend. I, th I think that's a very good point, Keith. I think, especially for Quattararo as well, because if you look at these last three tracks, you know, really, Philip Island is his, his best chance to, to take points off Banyaya, isn't it? I mean, Sepang, they're probably roughly equal, you might say, in terms of Yamaha and the Ducati, and maybe the Aprilia. They've all tested there, of course. It's not quite as unknown as the other tracks. Valencia... Well, what was it last year? All Ducati front row, all Ducati podium. You wouldn't want to be Quattro going into that race with uh, with a points gap to try and close. So really, he's got to get some points, I think, this weekend at Phillip Island to kind of, so he's got a bit of breathing room when he gets to Valencia. And uh, really, it's going to be a tough job for him there to to expect to beat all of those Ducatis. And, and then you've got Alash as the unknown as well. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, massive weekend. And, and weather-wise, I think it's looking showers on Friday, Maybe okay Saturday and Sunday, but quite cool. Uh, it's uh, it's tricky conditions there. The weather: Friday, rain. Saturday, sunny with clouds. Same for Sunday, but it does seem cold. So that's the weather update for Phillip Island this weekend. We've jumped ahead. I feel like we've done the insider's guide now for Phillip Island. Unless there's any other uh, tweaks and turns. What what's the surrounding areas like, Keith? What should we know about about this part of of Australia? Uh, Johnny Ray, Jonathan Ray has got a house on Phillip Island. Tash comes from there, his wife. There you go. So um, that's that's a bit of information for you. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a it's a kind of it's quite a barren place. It's 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 an unusual place. It's about what two hours, hour and a half if you're not bothering with the Victoria speed limits, which are a nightmare. Never 
ever go one kilometer an hour over the speed limit in Victoria. If you want a nanny state, then Victoria, the state of Victoria is a nanny really? state. There's police everywhere with speed guns. You're not allowed to step off the curb. You're not allowed to drink in the street. You're not allowed to make loud noises in bars. All no of wonder Keith's they're all favorite in things court. to do. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> so, I mean, the Australian way is not really the way that you might think of it. Melbourne is a nice place to stay before you go down to Phillip Island. Um, you can stay on the, on Phillip Island if you like. There's a, a road bridge that goes over onto the island itself. Um, but San Remo, the the little villagey town thing before you go over the bridge, good Thai restaurant, got to say. Um, the lady that owns the Thai restaurants from Udon Thani in the northeast, so Pete will be familiar with that, uh, as I will, of course. And it's kind of one of those situations where you, you begin to find your way around. It's great atmosphere, not packed, not full, you can walk about. It's a bit old school. It's a bit like going to Brands Hatch, I always think, but um, only an even more exciting racetrack. I mean, you can wander about. The people that are there, they're all quite windswept biker types. You know, they've all got, you know, anything that they look like they go to the, to the North Pole, South Pole, whenever they felt, felt like it and not be affected by it. Um, plenty of bikes on the island. Um, drinking's a no-no, obviously, in Australia if you're driving. Uh, speed limits you can get massive fines for, for doing five kilometers over over the limit, which is a real pain. Um, plenty of places to eat. It's a bit of a, actually, it's a bit of a cross between the Isle of Man as an event and Brands Hatch. I think if you could amalgamate those two, you would have the kind of a, the atmosphere that you would get. I think it's a proper biker's job. I mean, it's a, it's a, a proper bike event. Um, the marshals at tracks uh, that the, the usher you around the inside of the track, again, you can tell they come from the state of Victoria. Can't walk this way, can't walk that way, can't put one inch over this over the white line. They're always whinging and moaning about where the pedestrians are going and they're trying to... I don't understand what the mentality is in, in Victoria, but it is properly a nanny state. But the racetrack, just beautiful. If the weather was stable and a few degrees higher than it's likely to be this weekend, it's the perfect racetrack. Beautiful. Pit lane's not, by the way. Pit lane's really, really tight. Really tight on the way in. And an, and an awfully long run around the outside of Doohan's Corner. You've heard me talking about Doohan's Corner already, which is a really fast right-hander. And I, it always scares the life out of me when someone's coming out of pit lane, merging on the exit of Doohan's Corner. I think it's a very dangerous merge into, into a very fast corner from pit lane. Um, and again, the entry to pit lane has got a horrible little sort of near 90 degree turn into pit lane. Very, very narrow. So there's, if, if we have a situation where it's flag to flag, where people are changing bikes, and we've seen this before at Phillip Island, where it's been a bit of a cock up. I seem to remember Honda making a massive mess. They were one lap out, I think, on the on the bike swap. Um, it's it's a very tricky pit lane if we have a if we have that flag to flag bike swap situation. So that's something to watch out for as well. Okay, well, and also, yeah, I, Pete, I, oh, go on. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I would count Phillip Island as, as one of my favourite events of the year, to be honest. I think when you consider all things, as Keith says, about the track, the place, you know, just the location of it, everything, yeah, I think it's it's a real highlight of the calendar. And uh, I would recommend anyone, if you can get to it, go to it, because it's, uh, yeah, it is fantastic. The weather, though, is is the big question mark. But as they say, if you, if you wait half an hour, an hour, it changes. So, uh, you know... <laughs> There's always blue Good sky somewhere. <laughs> Good, yeah. <laughs> you can go and see the penguins if you want. 
that that I have to say I don't recommend. The so penguins. Here we are. You go to go to see the penguins on the beach, and you you go to this massive great car parking area. Again, thinking what I was saying about the pedestrian marshalling at the track, it's the same for the penguins, and they marshal you into this area, this horrible area that's full of tourists, and then you have to sit in this like grandstand thing. You cannot you wait for the penguins to come onto the beach, but you're not allowed to take photographs of them. You can't do anything. You know, can hardly see them. So you spend like an hour and a half waiting for these penguins to pop up. They come up and say, <laughs> and then clear off back into the sea. Honestly, if ever there was a waste of time and money seeing the penguins, don't bother. Leave, oh, leave the penguins alone. They're just living their lives. Um, no, the well, penguins are all right. It's the people running it's it. It's the people running <laughs> right. Well, the scenery always looks amazing. Just, I've never been there, obviously, but just, just from the the, view, the pictures you see, I just it just... In, it's, it looks like a spectacular place to, to have a race, to have a race, pretty much. Um, but Pete, we've got there's some uh, rider news coming in as well for this weekend. Um, some returns, re- returnees, I think that's the word, and some people not being there. One of them is Takanakagami. Um, it seems like he's really paying the price for going racing in Japan. I know he was desperate to do it just for his home race, but he has really mucked up that finger big time. Uh, and he again is going to be replaced uh, by uh, Tetsuya Nakashima. Um, because he's got this torn tendon that he's had two surgeries on and, and still recovering. So not great news for Takanakagami. But on the other side, Joanne Mir, back on that Suzuki. That's right, yes. Mir, he's been out, hasn't he, since that accident, that, that sort of strange accident, really, in Austria. You know, there were some some rumours. People are still unsure as to whether, you know, was did something actually go wrong? Was it a technical issue that caused that massive high side? No one really knows. But either way, it's, it's as you say, it's caused him a long-running problem with, I think, tendons, ligaments, those sort of things that, that just take time to heal. And we saw him try and come back, and then he was forced to sort of step away again. Then we had Petrucci come in for, for Thailand. Now he's going to try and come back again. He will have to pass a medical at Phillip Island on Thursday. Um, but he's obviously desperate to come back, finish these these last races with Suzuki before he starts this new chapter at uh, Repsol Honda at the Valencia Test. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that he is fit enough this time to do the full weekend and he doesn't have to sort of step away again because it's a long way to go to find out that you can't ride. And uh, Nagashima, yeah, he's, he's going to get another race. Um, you know, good, good to see. He was, he was so, he's such a polite happy guy you know speaking to him in in thailand he was just so pleased to be there he's been a winner in moto 2 and then he's kind of he he went away from the paddock and now he's he's doing this test riding for honda he does the japanese test riding stefan brad is obviously the better known of the honda test riders but uh, nagashima is doing his part back in japan and yeah he gets another race because as you say um nakagami has had to have a skin graft i think it is isn't it on this uh this hand injury that he picked up in the the, the incident with Marquez in Aragon. So yeah, as you say, he braved his home race weekend. You've got to imagine if it hadn't have been his home race and his first home race in a couple of years, probably he would have sat that one out, wouldn't he? With hindsight, but uh, you know, he 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 wanted to be there for his fans and everything else, his team. But yeah, it's going to take him a little while, and he's going to hope to be back for Sepang. But again, that'll depend on what the doctors say. Well, uh, we'll uh, wait and see that. And of course, Joanne Mir, that will be pro- hopefully properly confirmed on the Friday after that medical. Uh, yeah, just three races left for him before he goes on to Repsol Honda alongside Marc Marquez. Um, but a title can be won this weekend. Um, Moto3, Isaac Vera can clinch it. Uh, he's already secured promotion to Moto2. So that's something to have a look out for, Keith. What else have you got your eye on that? Anything else? Moto3 at Phillip Island is just the race of the year. Virtually every year. I mean, 
when I used to commentate on it, I, I'd almost blow my larynx out in the first five laps of a Moto3 race, let alone the last five laps. You know, you, you're going to end up with 20 bikes that are going to be stuck together and it's going to be anybody's race as it usually is at, at Phillip Island. So to win a world title, if you can get it done at Phillip Island, brilliant. But I would say that there is so many variables and so many people are going to be in it to win it this weekend as far as the race is concerned that um, I wouldn't want to be the one that put money on anybody in particular there. It's just an incredible race meeting. I mean, you can be leading it out of the the final long, long left-hander onto the front straight and be three, four, fifth by the time you get to the line. Finish line's a long way down the straight of Phillip Island. A lot of opportunity for slipstreaming to get it right. Some people have, 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 have won it coming onto the front straight. They've just had enough of enough room to make it work. But uh, generally, you've got three or four riders coming through that last corner and you're not going to be able to predict who's going to be first across the line. So I'm really looking forward to Moto3. I'm really looking forward to Moto3 sat on me couch shouting at it rather than losing my voice for the next three days. <laughs> He's nutted it. Um, let's end. Before we go on to our Ashley predictions, uh, we've got a couple of listener questions uh, that let's get answered and then we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll do our predictions after that. Um, and a lot last week where we had a lot of chat about um, Ducati, Ducati Cup, Ducati GP uh, and racing armchair has asked, if Pecco takes the crown, do you agree the narrative from the tribal fans seems more about Pecco robbing it, a la Ducati Cup, rather than Fabio losing it by underperforming? Toxic Twitter seems to overlook Yamaha haven't developed where the Dukes have. Surely that's on Yamaha, not Ducati. What you've got to remember is with Twitter is that there's one person versus the 500 that acquire you always got someone that, that kind of finds a, a little something to, to to tear that sheet of paper over for us all to look underneath it. You know, we are where we are. I mean, I'm seeing more about World Superbikes at the moment with Alvaro Bautista on a, on a Ducati that's a rocket ship in a straight line. You know, but the fact is, the fact that that Ducati, if we talk about World Superbike for a split second, is is faster than, than everything else out there at the moment, is giving us a three-way championship race as opposed to a two-way championship race. Um it's always difficult, isn't it? Do you penalise riders or do you penalise manufacturers? Where do you make the make the rules? Ducati have made the most out of what's available to them legally. Everything they've done is legal and above board. It's within the rules. So I, I will never criticise someone maximising what's available to them. I think the point of the, the, the question was, was, is it that Yamaha have underperformed? in their progress. And I think that they have. I think that whether that will happen again next year, we'll, we'll find out. It comes back to that other situation that I've been banging the drum about for the what feels like two years of doing this with you on Crash.net, is that I believe that the cutoff point for technical innovation, for technical changes, is too soon in the year. I believe that, that if you gave the manufacturers an opportunity to try different things for the first two, three, four Grand Prix, and then set that in stone so they couldn't make any changes from that point, it would give some of the weaker manufacturers, if you like, for want of a better word than, than I can think of other than weaker, uh, an opportunity to try the things that they've got in the pipeline but just haven't been able to test properly. It's all very well saying that they've got test riders back in Japan and all the rest of it. There is nothing like having your current riders testing new innovation. And there isn't the time and 
test schedules allowed now in MotoGP for them to be able to test all of the things that I'm sure they've got backed up in the, the engineering pipeline. So something has to change at some stage. You know, Ducati, I suppose, again, it could be argued because they've got eight bikes, although they're not all the same, gives them an opportunity to have more data to understand what's going on with their engineering. So therefore, they are likely to have slightly more innovative ideas on their main factory bikes. Is that Ducati's fault? No, it's not. It's the way it is at the moment. You know, do we want less grid spaces? If Suzuki were pro producing more bikes, would would other independent teams go with Suzuki? You know, we've got Aprilia that have doubled their, their effort for 2023, which is a good thing. Suzuki dropping out has kind of screwed the whole thing at the moment. Um, I just think Ducati are doing a great job. How many, how many world championships have Ducati won in recent years for the amount of investment that they've put in? You know, you could argue with any of the big red machines in Ferrari, F1, with Ducati in MotoGP, they are the team that are putting the most resources into it um, and haven't got what they should have had, effectively. So who's right, who's wrong? Who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong? Uh, Ducati are doing their very best to win a world title, and they might well do it this year. This weekend is going to tell. I think Quattrari is doing an incredible job, isn't he? I mean, you look, Morbidelli is, is 19th in the World Championship, the next best Yamaha. I mean, the difference, I don't think a, another Yamaha has even finished in the top 10 in the dry this year. I mean, the difference is just extraordinary between what Quattrari is doing and the other guys on those bikes who are good riders. I mean, Morbidelli, title runner-up, race winner. Dovi got on it and, and decided he couldn't make it work. You know, a triple title runner-up. He's doing an incredible job, but you just got to remember that quote, haven't you, from Mark Marquez after Thailand? I bet on Peko's bike, wasn't it? And I think that you know he he's he's a rider. He's out there racing with these guys. He can see the difference. And and the Ducati now, as as Keith says, they put all of this effort into it. Look at the the results they're getting on it. I mean, Quattrara, I think his points at this time last year, Quattrara had about 30, 40, 50 maybe more points than he's got this year. So. You know, that shows where the momentum has gone away from them. Pecco's only about 10 behind where he was last year at this point. So Yamaha, you, you know, he's doing a great job. The, the engine work is coming for next year, uh, you know, but is it going to be enough for these last three races? That's the big question. Then on the, on the issue of the satellite bikes, let's take the specific example of Grassini. Grassini had the option of running satellite Aprilias or satellite Ducatis, both of them year-old bikes. The Aprilia, the year-old Aprilia took one podium last year. The year-old Ducati won races with Pecco, with, with Jorge Martin, with Jack Miller. I mean, which would you choose if you're Grassini? They chose the Ducati. They've gone on to win four races with an Air Bastianini. So this is what you're up against when you're trying to sort of even out the grid. They just want the best bikes. I think as well, Pete, I mean, if I might make that World Superbike analogy as well, you know, penalising the rider uh, or, or giving praise, you know, Quattrara has done a great job. He's done the job he should have been doing, you know, for my money, the other Yamaha riders haven't. Dovi wasn't the spec that he would have been, and Dovi wasn't going to stick his neck out. It was his time had come. Um, you know, Morbidelli just hasn't been the same since he done, had that leg injury. I mean, like, at the end of the day, he's not been the same. So I, I, I would argue that that they're not perhaps performing in the same way that they should be at this level. You know, World Superbikes have this massive problem that Bautista's clearing off in the distance, and yeah, his motorbike's faster than everybody else's. But who else is doing the business on a on a on a Ducati? You know. You've got Jonathan Ray, who who, who was penalised with a 250 or maybe 500 RPM. I can't remember what it was now. 250, I think, originally, and then 500 RPM. Knocked off the top of his bike through legislation. Um, 
Yamaha are there or thereabouts with top-ranked Razgo Dioglu. But the, the point being is, is it's very difficult to judge. Where are their teammates? Where are the other Yamahas? Where are the other Kawasaki's in the World Superbike situation? Very difficult to, to, to make a set of rules that is going to... I mean, and the other thing to remember in MotoGP is the whole grid is within a second. Yeah, we're talking about the whole grid is within a second in somewhere like qualifying. Now that, to qualify the qualifying comment, is, isn't the same in a race because if you've got a motorbike that's a little bit quicker than the others in a straight line, you are not going to be able to run your perfect line on, say, a Yamaha that's, that's 10 kilometres an hour slower down the straight. You're always going to have someone that's going to be able to slipstream, get underneath you and force you off your ideal line to put that perfect lap time in. So in a race situation, the quicker bike is generally going to be the one that, that mires the party of, of, of Yamaha. Who was the journalist that um, that said this week that he felt that the MotoGP championship has been weakened um, since Marquez hasn't been in it, uh, in that, that he felt that the, the, the it's been fairly ordinary without Marquez um, being in the championship. I, I can't remember the exact wording to it, so I don't want to misquote someone and then name someone in it, but, but there is that kind of feeling in certain sectors at the moment that that performances aren't quite where they should be. You know, there are some riders that aren't performing in the way that they should be performing, I think was the overall point of the piece. Um, and you might be able to say that about your Morbidellis and your Daviziosos and so on and so forth. You know, who's not performing to their, their very best? Um, we'll have a look at the analysis at the end of the year when we go through all the sheets and sheets of paper. I was saying earlier on about how, how Al always check all the sector times and so on and so forth. Always worries me when I see riders put in their fastest laps right at the very end of a race, you know, like when really the, the bike should be worn out, the tyre should be worn out, you know, it should be it should be just about hanging by a thread by the end when the chequered flag comes out. And you suddenly see Maverick Vinales used to be the best for that. You know, there's, he must have driven his engineer completely mad. Then you'd look at the last two laps and he's going fast and he's been in the entire race. Well, why didn't he do that from about half race distance when the fuel level had gone down? Nobody knows. You know, it... it Bike racing is so individual. It's so about the rider. Forgive me, Harry, if I say this again. You know, Formula One, for instance, you've got this stable platform that these guys are strapped into. You put the, you know, the cars really do make the difference. You know, it's a situation where you're very unlikely to beat a, a, the top car um, by changing the driver so much. They're all quite capable of being at that pace. Whereas I think with MotoGP or motorbikes in general is that, the rider puts, you know, alters his weight, his performance, he moves himself around. So it makes, makes a huge difference in how that bike will perform depending on how he is managing the package. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit more um, fluid in that a rider can make the difference. Whereas I believe in, in cars, obviously the platform is a little bit more stable. So therefore you, you can't make much of a difference as a driver to a car that doesn't perform. Whereas with a bike, you can make a, a, a slow bike go quite quickly if you work your way around the package, as Quattararo clearly is with the Yamaha. Riders do make a difference. That's why they get paid the big bucks. I don't know what Marquez has been paid in the past, but certainly he's kept Hondas uh, on a high just by being somewhere thereabouts every single time he jumps on a motorbike. He's worth whatever they pay him because to get that kind of performance out of an engineering upgrade would cost them millions and millions. 
So whatever Marquez gets paid, he's worth the money. Whatever Quattararo gets paid at Yamaha, he's worth the money. Bangnoia, Miller, I don't know. You see, there. I, I don't know whether... I think Peko makes too many unforced errors. We'll see if he gets over that come Phillip Island. Because if he doesn't, he won't win this title. Darren Binder was the only other Yamaha rider to get a top 10 finish this year so far, way back in Indonesia, round two. And he's all the way down in 22nd uh, in the standings. So And, and without a ride for next yeah. year. And that, yeah, exactly. And that was in the wet, wasn't it? Um, you uh, just just lastly, because um, I believe I don't know if it was worldwide or just in the UK or not. It was a mental health day or something like that um, yesterday or whenever. And MotoGP put out a little thing about Maverick Vinales. And I remember um, uh, talking about a lot about uh, Vinales, of course, last year when he departed from um, or two years ago now, was it? time flies uh, from uh, Yamaha and, and the struggles he was going through mentally. And, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about, well, what is there available for, for riders and, and team personnel? And John has asked, how do the organizers deal with any mental health issues races have? Simple question. Is there, is there anything? That's a very, very good question. It's really in vogue at the moment, isn't it? I, I did a piece with um, Glenn Irwin, British superbike rider, great lad, who's clearly suffered with mental health issues over the last two or three years. And what he's had to go through to get on top of that as a top-line motorcycle racer is incredible. You know, the effort that he is, he is self-motivated to find the answers to why he goes to, a, as he would put it, a darker place. Um, Maverick Vinales, we've all questioned Maverick Vinales for some time. You know, racing a motorbike at the top level is is 90% about what's in, in between your ear rolls. It's about how you deal with a situation, you know, how you manage, you know, being away from home as long as you are, how you manage physical injury, how you manage the pressure. Social media, I mean, like, blimey, social media can destroy the strongest of us um, once they get stuck into you from somewhere or the other. Um, the answer is no, I don't think there is Harry. I, and, and whoever the, 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 the guy was that, that sent the question in, I don't, there isn't a specific in the paddock. There is no pastoral care. It's left to the team to manage their rider in the situation. And indeed for their rider to recognize the fact, here's a very personal example. A very close friend of mine, um, was struggling with mental health issues. And I tried to help them by accessing the available um, avenues, if you like, on the NHS and privately uh, here in Northampton. I thought, okay, let's see what I can do for this, this person. And it was impossible. Honestly, it was impossible. You can ring, obviously you can ring up Samaritans, which I would highly recommend to anybody, anyone listening to this, that is struggling with it, do reach out and do try and do something that will make you feel better, whether it speak to a friend, whether it speak to a family member, because you'd be surprised how many people do care. And I cared for this person enough to try and do something in my usual forthright and business-like manner. In other words, completely the wrong way of doing things. Um, and I was shocked at how little I could motivate some of the agencies to get involved. They would only get involved if this person was to ring them up and agree to it themselves. 
And one of the big issues with a person, particularly a bloke, with a person that has a mental health issue, you don't want to admit it to anybody. You want to deal with it yourself. You force it back inside of you. You don't let it out. You don't want to discuss it with anybody. Unless somebody close to you recognizes it, as I did with this particular person, and wants to try and help, you're on your own. And that's the situation that most people find themselves in. And certainly in a paddock, if your team isn't very, uh, doesn't have much empathy towards what might be going on in your head, then you're in, you're in big trouble. And if you try to reach out through somebody else, they can't do it for you because none of the agencies will get involved. They'll only get involved if you ring them up and say, I've got a problem. I need help. And not many people do that. And they should, obviously. It's a very difficult subject. Very difficult indeed. Yeah, it's that uh, admitting it yourself part, isn't it? Uh, but please do, as uh, Keith said, if you uh, have recognised any of those issues, do reach out to, to avenues like the Samaritans um, and uh, I believe Mind as well as a, as a great mental health charity to, to look into too. So uh, do reach out. But with it being mental health uh, oh. day, I thought it was worth bringing up. Well, I think so. And I think that, that, that people like Glenn Irwin, you know, we'll talk to you about it what he has been through. I mean, I love the way that Glenn is, is, is able to, to speak. You can follow Glenn Irwin on Twitter, you know, and if, if you, if anybody out there wants any, I mean, I'll help if anybody needs any help, just get on my Twitter handle and uh, I'll DM you with, with, with information that, that I've found in the, in the time that I've been trying to deal with it. You know, I think everybody has mental health issues at some stage, you know, saying the word mental health issues, saying the words mental health issues is something that, you know, I would never have said in the past, I've had mental health issues. I didn't know they were mental health issues. I do now because I'm much older and I recognize it now and I see other people and it gets talked about a lot more. So I think we've always had mental health issues. Everyone has had a mental health issue of some kind. The degree of it, you know, is very personal where that is. I dealt with my own and it all got sorted out and I recognize all about that. I learned my way through it. But a lot of people can't do that or aren't able to do that or don't recognize the, the course that they need to take. So therefore, speaking with someone else, you know, really, really does cut the job in half. And you'd be surprised how many people there are out there. But you have got to, if you want to access, you know, the so-called proper agencies, they're like a nightmare to access because they don't want to speak to anybody other than the person that has got the problems. And the pro person that's got the problems quite often doesn't want to speak to somebody that's a stranger. Mm. It's just the way it is. Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, you've said some brilliant things there. So I think please do reach out if you feel like you do want to talk to somebody. There is somebody who will want to listen to you, always is. Um, so uh, Samaritan's Mind, Keith Hewin is there uh, if you uh, if you would like to, to reach out. Um, well, as we come towards the end then of uh, this show, looking forward to Philip Island, um, have we had a little time to think about who we might be predicting to be onto the podium? Um, have we had some time to do the that? The weather. The weather. The weather. I think it's going to be dry. The weather so... wind. <laughs> right, I know who Pete. I'm going with. Well, yeah, but well, you're not going first, though. Pete's going first. I'm forcing <laughs> him to go first. <laughs> It's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, you know what? I, having said that, I think Quattararo has really got to try and make the most of this weekend just in terms of the track and the bike might be better for him than some, than the, the next two rounds, let's say, versus the Ducati and maybe the Aprilia. I'm going to say Quattararo for the win because I think he's got to. 
I'm going to say Aleish second because again, I think he's got to. I think the Aprilia goes well there. Ian Oni, we were talking about him headbutting the seagull, but sort of lesser known was that sort of 2019. Ironically, well, the the race before he, with hindsight, we found out failed the uh, the, the drug test. The, at Phillip Island, the race before that, he was leading it on the Aprilia. I think it might have been the first time an Aprilia led a MotoGP race. So the bike even then went well around Phillip Island and Aleish was a pretty good match for Inoni in qualifying. So I'm going to say Aleish second and I'm going to say Jack Miller home podium on his final race there for Ducati. Nice. I like that podium. Keith? Miller Quattararo Binder. Oh, a Binder. Why Binder? Mm. I've seen him around there before. I like the way he does his business around Phillip Island. Um, I've got a feeling that, you know, another podium for him. I, 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 I mean, it, you might as well throw all the top names in the air and catch them because it's going to be one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. Miller, Miller is from my heart. I mean, Aussies, you know, Casey Stoner, six times on the bounce winner around Phillip Island. Wayne Gardner, Mick Doohan, you know, these are absolute legends. For Jack Miller to emulate that at his home track on the week of his marriage, you know, just call me an old romantic if you would. God. But I, I would just, it would be the perfect week for me to see Miller do it. Um, so I'm going to go Miller. Quattararo, I think Pete's right. I mean, Quattararo's really got to do something spectacular here. I think we're going to see a lot of mistakes this weekend. And I think that's what's going to be the, the issues here. You know, mistakes in qualifying, mistakes in the race. Um, Binder's got that kind of grit about him. And I think this place is going to be about gritting your teeth and getting on with whatever's slung at you. And Binder and KTM, he's had a podium a couple of rounds ago. So um, I'm, I'm going to put him on for the, for the third. Okay. I'm going also for a Miller win. I think that would be nice. Uh, I'm going for a Leish second. But I'm going to put Maverick on the podium in third. I think he's 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 been he's owed one. He's so close. He's massively improved. And of course, he was pole last time uh, we were in um, uh, Phillip Island. So I think he likes the track. Goes well there, and he's got good pace on that Aprilia. And he won't. He'll get out of the way if he's in front of Aleish. Like he's not going to get. He's not going to um, lose Aleish the title. I think so. Miller, Aleish, Maverick for me. Need I remind you both? You have locked in Fabio as your title winner. Um, and I've gone for a leash, so no one's gone for Peko. <laughs> <laughs> so we shall wait and see. Well, well, we should. We should also say probably I've, I can't remember who said it, but one of the riders said of, of these last tracks, the only one that's really bad for tire wear, if you like, is Phillip Island. And who's that guy that goes really well when the tires are well out? Bastianini. So look out for Inea coming through towards the end of the race if it does turn out to be another real tire sapping performance on Sunday. Binder and the KTM aren't bad on that either. Good call. Yep. So just to reiterate, I went for Miller, Aleish, and Anea Bastianini on the podium. So we got that. Everyone's got that down there. Good. Um, we'll leave it there then, shall we? <laughs> and we'll look forward uh, to the final three races. It is three, isn't it? Yeah. Final three. Um, first up, Phillip Island, titles to be decided. Thank you, gents. Make sure you're tuned in as ever across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And then we'll be back with you next week to look back and forward at everything that's going on as ever. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section, tweet, Instagram, Facebook us, just search Crash Moto GP. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we'll see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.